welcome to the Middletown podcast. I'm Kat Hughes, I'm a research officer with Middletown and I'm also autistic. In this episode I talk to Elaine McGoldrick. Elaine is a former teacher and now a researcher and she's an autistic parent to autistic children. I wanted to talk to her about all of those different fascinating perspectives. Well Elaine, thank you so much for, for joining us on the, the Middletown podcast. Um, I know you have a background working in education, but you're working in, in research now. Can you tell us a bit about the, the research that you're doing? Yeah, I'm um, doing my doctorate of education. It, it's a professional doctorate, so it needs to be very practically based, which really suits me because I suppose like as a very late diagnosed autistic teacher, there's so much I, that has come up over the course of teaching that kind of that neurodivergent, neurodivergent instinct almost in terms of how you connect with children and how you see issues on the ground and how that differs maybe from colleagues' perceptions of things. So I I originally started off thinking that I'd, you know, do something to promote the whole monotropic theory and as a way of understanding autism because it, it suits me and it, it, it sits really well with me. But I also kind of am very cognizant of the fact that in terms of relationships between parents and teachers, that, you know, where we have kind of a double empathy problem, you have a kind of a, you know, bi-directional communication issue where parents don't necessarily understand what's happening with teachers or why they're responding in the way that they are. And equally, teachers don't necessarily understand what's going on. And most of the research, indeed nearly all of it that I've come across, they just talk about parents as a homogenous group and and we know as autistics that that's not necessarily we're never a one-size-fits-all definitely so what I'm hoping to do I've started I've got the pilot project done and I've kind of started with parents and kind of recognizing what are the themes for them in terms of what works and what doesn't work and I suppose that's the important thing to say is that everybody has had experience of what works it just isn't always consistent, you know, and then the other side of it, what doesn't work. And also, I think because I have the teacher's perspective as well, I've sat in the staff room while these discussions have gone on. Um, you know, there is that sense of, you know, someone becoming that parent. And as an autistic, the more you're ignored, the more you need, you desperately need to get your point across, particularly when it comes to your child's safety. And very often we know what happens is that we're seeing um, distress at home that isn't evident at school. And to be fair to teachers, they've not been taught this, they've not been trained in this. This isn't where their background is. And that's why, you know, when I talk about this, I like to talk about my own journey in terms of learning about autism and how it has changed. But I suppose fundamentally underlying it all, there was this kind of natural instinct to to, to want to connect and to want to make sense and to want to relate to, to the student, which so you end up in a situation as an autistic both parent and teacher, where you're seeing things that school isn't seeing and you're being dismissed because, you know, they don't have a validation for that, if you like. And the worry is that that transfers over then when it comes to um, accessing services or whatever, because when there's a discrepancy between what a parent will say and what a teacher will say, you tend, you know, to favour the school rather than the parent and that can lead to all sorts of problems and of course what's happening for us as autistic parents then is that the frustration and the desperation and you know and 
on one side and then on the teacher side it's like oh keep her away from me and you know we can't just just don't engage and the less they engage the more desperate it becomes so to me there's a huge breakdown there in terms of communication I mean everybody wants what's best for the child there's no disputing that there are no bad guys in this but the problem is where you have that you know, I suppose, misunderstanding of what autism actually is and what good communication in terms of autistic parents and children actually is. That's where the problem lies, really. And we need to sort of, what I would love to do as a result of my study would be bring the two together and look in terms of not just what it is from the parent's perspective, but also what it is from the teacher's perspective. Because I think there's so much to be gained on both sides. I mean, in terms of you know, parents just like if we can trust school, then that's going to filter down to the kids. And, you know, it makes for a better outcome educationally, no matter what way you look at it. And then equally on the teacher side, there's so much time and energy wasted. There's such a negative spiral that can be produced in these situations. And that can all be very simply avoided with good communication you know and inclusion at that whole school level rather than a school thinking of inclusion just as being the students you know that it has to be and the parents have so much knowledge to bring and experience to bring and you know so that's sorry I've gone on a bit wow that sounds fantastic <laughs> wow that sounds amazing it sounds like it will be incredibly valuable so you mentioned sort of your your own journey and how that's yes. kind of informing the, the work that you're doing so I might take you back a bit on that journey if you don't mind so can you yeah. um, describe your younger self oh yeah tricky I I suppose I was very self-contained in a lot of ways really um I lived a lot in my own world my own head <laughs> if you like struggled hugely in terms of friendships and everything that goes with that um I, like it it's really tricky I don't have very clear memories of my childhood I think a lot of it I've kind of suppressed because it wasn't always necessarily great fun um and I and again coming back to that team of people around you wanting what's best for you and doing what's what they consider to be best for you and then okay of course we know so much more now than would have been known like when I was a little one back in the 70s you know it's a long long time ago so that that I suppose I would have constantly been struggling to get things right and always kind of somehow missing out, not understanding what it was that I'd gotten wrong. Um, and then coming back, try, like the little puppy chasing the car, you know, that sort of thing. And just landing flat in my face time and time and time again, you know. And on the outside, it looked like, you know, I was doing very well because I was doing well at school. I did a lot of after school activity with drama and um I used to do a bit of stage work and stuff like that and and like it looked fantastic and and you know in terms of even from my parents point of view they had made a very conscious decision they had both kind of come from impoverished backgrounds if you like and they'd made a very very conscious decision that they wanted to write by us in terms of you know that upward mobility and everything that goes with it so they couldn't understand how could someone who had everything going for them be so miserable you know it just didn't make sense so I suppose you end up internalizing a lot of messages then that aren't necessarily accurate if you like and, and it does make for you know that that desperate effort to try your hardest and then 
I've done it again. <laughs> yeah, so that 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 would have been me, really, I suppose. Um, and I had terrible food sensitivities. Like if there was a, any bit of a lump of mashed potato, I I would gag and choke and everything like that. And that just seems so ungrateful to them because you know it was such. I suppose it's it's kind of goes back to the whole hierarchy of needs thing, doesn't it? And if you're struggling at that, you know, at that level, then to see somebody you know, complaining there was too much food on their plate. Like it, it's a slap in the face, really, when you when you don't know no better, you know, and doing right by us and loving us. And that that was the bottom line for them always, you know. So, yeah, and I think we need, you know, as autistics now, adult autistics, I think we need to be very conscious of that, that, you know, people are coming from a very strong place of love and what's best. And unfortunately, a lot of the messages that are coming in that suggest what's best aren't necessarily, you know, um, proven useful in the long run. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And like, yeah, I think both of my folks were very aware of their own difference within their families and kind of within the world. Okay. So they, they very much wanted us to sort of fit in much more than they felt. They yes. Did. So there was sort of yeah. a pressure to do that. But it was like at the time, I massively resented it. But now I see it just as pure love and, and just wanting to take yes. the anxiety that they felt away from us. You know, exactly so, it yeah and I see that play out now again in terms of my own kids because uh both my kids are autistic and both would struggle you know and it's just so so difficult to to stand back and watch and not have that magic wand <laughs> that just takes it all away you know so, yeah. yeah the reality did, did you enjoy your time in school um I don't remember not enjoying it as such. Um, I, I don't have very, very strong memories of, of school. I think, you know, I know I do remember I liked sitting next to kids that other people didn't necessarily want to sit next to. I I, I, <laughs> I love that kind of helping them to understand stuff. And so that that teaching aspect has always been there and been a part of things. I didn't kind of get on. I don't, I don't remember having friends at school. I don't remember playing games in the yard, but I must have, I mean, I had to go out to the yard, but I have no memory of it whatsoever. So it's, yeah. And, and I ended up changing schools quite a few times through no fault of my own. Um, and it would actually so I ended up sort of in new circumstances a, a few times the secondary school that I went to had two branches one at the bottom of Fairhill and one at the top of Fairhill not presentation and um in first year I ended up going down to Blackpool uh, and I was the only one I didn't know anybody else down there so you know this was a whole new group and then in fifth year we automatically went back up to Fernry. Um, so this was a whole new dynamic then again. So th- there was a lot of that sort of chasing to catch up and not quite getting getting it right. And you know, the rules that come at you as as an autistic, you know, young person, I suppose, really. Like you have what the teachers are telling you they want, you have what your parents want. And then, you know, you're trying to do all the right things. You're trying to to me, it was always the case. So I was always more interested in criticism than praise because I could learn from the criticism. You know, and uh, you're you're just trying to figure all this stuff out, and you can't keep up with it. Yeah, <laughs> it's just mission impossible. It really is. Yeah, yeah it's it's like constantly looking for the rule book somewhere. Yes, looking for it yes. to be handed to you. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, yeah. So, so you were saying, so you had that sort of nurturing side in relation mm. to some of the the students in your class. Do you think mm. that was what 
drew you to education or did you always feel like you wanted to go into education in some way? Yeah, I would have always, that's the one game that I would remember playing, <laughs> would be playing teacher and all the dolls lined up. And and I suppose it was a way of helping me to process what had gone on during the day or what have you. But I I, I would always have loved that whole thing where someone is stuck and they can't figure out and being able to get in there and help, you know. I always got a kick out of that. Yeah, there's always. And um, I suppose really, you know, in some ways, makes for a good teacher and in other ways it makes for a teacher that you know tends to kind of rock the boat a bit and step on people's toes and everything else that goes with that yeah to, to huge benefit of the students I would imagine though I you'd hope <laughs> <laughs> you'd hope <laughs> yeah so was there an age that you remember particularly enjoying when you were little no. no, I wish I could say I didn't know there wasn't. My big escape was the stage. Um, gosh, donkeys years ago in Cork, a little group called the Tiny Tots. So it started from the age of seven. I would have done it to sing in and dance numbers as part of a group in the pantomime in Cork Opera House. And then when I got older, I went on to Montfort's and, you know, so we've kind of more adulty and musicals and things like that. And that was my heaven. Just, you know, I could be a nervous wreck in the wings and then just stepping out onto the stage and magic, you know. And um, occasionally I got to kind of stand in for the person who did all the solos and I would have a sore throat all day. I wouldn't be able to speak, but I would step out onto that stage and blast, <laughs> you know. So it was just that. But again, it was such a controlled environment, isn't it? And you know exactly what's going to happen and you know exactly what's expected of you and you know to smile. And yeah, so, yeah, that would have been my absolute highlight. Yeah, definitely. Oh, fine. Yeah. And what, was there a time then, I suppose, that you found particularly challenging? Within, within... Yeah. <laughs> Um, particularly challenging. I don't like there were it just seemed to be constant challenges, you know, from one thing or another, you know, trying to get on with people like I can remember one specific incident when I was um, I, I had to have been in fifth year because we were walking home from a school and um, it used to annoy me so much because I walked home with two girls and they were all friends until the first girl you know, turned off to go to her house and we continued on walking. And the other girl would start laying into her and what of this she wasn't, that she wasn't, the other. And I found that so, so difficult. And I got so upset about it that I wrote her a letter asking her not to do it. Can you imagine how that went down? <laughs> you know, um. just, no, that was not <laughs> to you know so things like that that would kind of you know with the best will in the world and the best of intentions like just landing yourself in it you know and not having a clue why or what it was that you'd done or yeah so I, I suppose that kind of teenage stuff would have been twice as difficult there's no two ways about it yeah yeah, yeah. I, I always felt that things to me were incredibly serious there were things that I would take like that I would take that so seriously. Mm-hmm. I would have, I think about it so much, and yeah. other people seem to be able to just brush it off and carry on. And I never understood that. <laughs> and I, for me, that's you know the difference between somebody who is autistic and isn't that ability to be able to brush it off. Because it's it's funny here, my husband. You know, there's so many things we laugh and joke about in terms of you know, ah, oh, yeah, you're one of us. But when it comes down to it, he can brush stuff. Off. 
<laughs> I just, it, yeah, <laughs> it's a different league entirely, isn't it? Absolutely. <laughs> Can you even imagine yeah. what that feels like to be able to do oh. Wouldn't it be amazing? Yeah, my mum used to talk about it when I was a kid about putting things on the shelf. You know, that made no sense. <laughs> this wasn't possible. I mean, once and that—that's the problem, isn't it? A lot of the time for us, in terms of where relationships and communications break down, is that we we genuinely can't let go until it makes sense, yeah. and people around us don't have tolerance for that because it's not important to them. It yeah. makes no sense to them. Is there? advice looking back that you kind of give to your younger self either in relation to the struggles or just sort of generally it's funny when I saw that question it's quite a complex one because as parents obviously you 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 know you have your priorities and, and 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 for me my priorities in terms of my kids would have been you know following their lead and seeing where they where life brought us together kind of a thing you know and I mean it's not that you get it right I mean you don't and and every but every generation does I suppose really but um and that's why I kind of feel like that it it seems a bit cheeky for me to sort of give advice because if if I had done it properly then my two would be living happily ever after but that's not how life works you know equally so it's I suppose really that that kind of focus on the norm and being normal and fishing in that would be the biggest thing really you know that that you know find your own path and follow it because you're good enough you know you are enough despite whatever all the messages that are coming at you from everybody else yeah that that yeah ultimately would be it and I've tried to bring my my kids up with that but it it doesn't always stick you know and and, and I think one of my biggest regrets really um, would be that in terms of one of them, not the other, that they kind of followed how I treated myself rather than how I treated them. So, you know, it's one of those things that it's about the only aspect of my life that I wish I'd known I was autistic earlier, you know, that 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 I could have begun to be kinder to myself yeah, and set that as a role model, you know. Yeah. That's life, isn't it? That's it, exactly. And I think particularly when you're late diagnosed you kind of you spend so much time thinking in some ways that you're just kind of bad at life absolutely it's hard to be kind to yourself in that circumstance yeah yeah and it's the same mistake you're making constantly over and over again and yeah or the same type of mistake you know and that used to bother me and like you know very often when I started a new school or whatever obviously my approach was a little bit different and and um you know some people would be quite taken with that and I always knew there was a fall coming, you know, it's please don't build me up because I'll just have further to fall. And it's that sense, that inevitability of getting it wrong. Um, I saw somebody tweet there the other day, you know, that kind of autistic thing of, do you know what I mean? Or does that make sense? That we do tend to finish our sentences with that all the time because we're just so used to not making sense. Was there anyone that you found who was particularly supportive um, when you were younger? Yeah, that's a tricky one as well. I I know I would have felt kind of really cherished by my grandmother. I would have been the very first grandchild and I loved spending time with her in terms of just, I don't know, I I just felt cherished, do you know what I mean? And I just felt spoiled. And there were lots of little things that that she did, tiny little things. Um, She used to make me, you know, instant coffee with milk, but she'd stir it up so that you got that lovely little frothy head. Tiny, you know, little details like that that just meant the world. Um, 
and I would have kind of gone and spent Sunday afternoons with her. And as it got older, um, would have kind of, when my parents went on holidays, would have stayed with her and we got up to bits of adventures and stuff like that. So, yeah, I suppose in some small way, that would be like, yeah, that would be yeah, the person that stood out. I, I, and I feel bad for saying that because I like my mum is, my mum and dad both are just phenomenal. They're, they're, they're tremendous. And, and again, you know, the difference it makes to your relationship now that we know that I'm autistic and that this is what was happening all those years. Like it, it, the, the quality of relationships, the people who are closest to you, the people that matter most, those relationships just blossom, you know. And I, I have a contentment in my life now that I wouldn't have known at any other stage, you know. And I just wish I could pass it on to my kids. <laughs> we'd all live happily ever after. <laughs> So that's why I kind of feel a bit bad, you know, offering advice to any other parents in terms of what to do, because I, I suppose really it, we do our best with what we know and, and we're, you know, we're doing it with heart. And But, you know, just that connection, just that validation, that that piece is so, so important, I think. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. If you want to know more about Middletown, you can find us on Twitter at Autism Centre or on Facebook or Instagram at Middletown Centre for Autism. Thank mm-hmm. you.